Part six, section one of the trial of Callista Blake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The trial of Callista Blake by Edgar Pangborn. Part six, section one. Nox es perpetua ornadormienda. Catullus. In the prison house are many mansions. This one looks very nice. Thank the good sheriff for me, for us, Cecil. Is it wired for sound? No, dear, it's just an office. Sheriff's working late down the hall, records room, and said we could have this. Nobody'll bother us. May I sit at the desk and judge humanity? Why not? Or I'll be a lady of the Abbey of Thalame, where the law was, do what thou wilt. No, can't have anything like that going on in the sheriff's own office. And still, flowers on the desk? The explanation is anticlimax. Sheriff's good-looking, has a devoted secretary, her brother-in-law runs a florist shop. Like that. Never mind. I hereby make believe the flowers are for me, the blood-red roses and the little white ones, sweet hothouse children. Not quite real, are they? No black spot, no bitten leaves, sheltered children. I guess they don't understand. But I'll make believe. Am I occasionally beautiful, Cecil? To me, always. I've always loved words, you know. It amounts to a fault. I can't make them do as I wish. I could never write. I don't know enough about people, maybe never shall. But I know the power of words. You say I'm beautiful to you, and that makes me so. I believe it. The words shut away everything foreign to the Abbey of Thalem. No, that's not where we are. But isn't it strange what words can do? comfort and terrify, heal and kill, make out of nothing something, and another word can send the something back to a nothing. It was my father's gift, that love of words. I was reading precociously at least a year before he died. Mother, who is definitely literate and past president of the local PTA, no kidding, felt it wasn't quite right at such an age. What's that paper? Are you tearing it? Just a blank sheet the good sheriff left on his desk. I hope he won't miss it. Not tearing. Love. Building. It's my crown, Cecil. I need a pin. Is that a pin in your lapel? Yes, here. Thanks. That'll do it. Ouch! Well, nothing created without pain. How does it look? Royal. Does it suit my complexion? White and ivory. Yes, not bad. Is it all right for a queen to suck a pinpricked finger? Rank has its privileges. Good. So not a lady of Thalem, but a mere queen. I'll do my best while I have authority. This object shaped like a ruler is my scepter, and this apparent ink bottle... No, 
If rank has its privileges, we'll omit the orb and give me a cigarette. You may light it for me, and remember you have the right at any time to be seated in my presence. My lord, do you have any defense to set forth in favor of this mewling monster, this three-billion-headed lurching moon-calf humanity? Your Majesty, I must first know what specific charges have been made. Item, he stinks of shrewd stupidity like his father, Caliban, a fault that might be remedied by going to school a few thousand years more. At least there's manifest intelligence. Latent, you mean, don't you? Mostly latent, but a good deal of it overt, liberated. Item, his fears are inconsistent. He's afraid of the dark, but quite ready to play with matches. Another trait of childhood. Also of masturbating monkeys. Item, he talks a great deal about truth, but in the end what he believes is what he wishes to believe. At that point I must draw your majesty's attention to an essential point in the original indictment, namely, the admission that this monster possesses roughly three billion heads, and three billion bodies. In that view of it, it's good law as well as necessary charity to insist that each head and body unit of the monster be treated separately. There isn't time, sir, there isn't time. Are you implying that not everyone is snotty? Something like that. But then we can have no trial, no trial, no justice, no fun. Ah, damn it, I was looking forward to a hanging with a bang-up speech from the platform and not a dry eye in the entire public square except for a few pickpockets and sellers of soft drinks. Callista, sir, no, fair enough, I'll put my scepter down. Maybe I'm tired of being queen, but may I keep my crown a while? You've always worn it. No, no, bring your chair. No, take this one, Cecil. I'd like to sit on the floor with my head on your knee. Not that you're like my father at all. My crown. Oh, put it away somewhere. Keep it. I don't care. I don't hear that wind any more. Is it turning cold? Yes, it's quite cold tonight. Callista, the prosecution will finish tomorrow with the reading of those letters. We'll probably open after the noon recess. Is there anything, anything at all you haven't told me? Yes. You said in court today, you said there was something. Yes. Why did you stop moving your hand over my hair? I loved it. That's better. Cecil, I am guilty. The blank? Yes. Haven't you almost known it all along? No, but I've been afraid you might remember something, or convince yourself that you've remembered it, and so come to believe yourself guilty. Oh, Cecil, this isn't belief. This is knowledge. You're trying to give me a way out before you even hear. It's like this. 
it came back as a clear auditory memory the dull noise of that bottle being pulled forward on the shelf and the cork and a clink of glass then the tap of her little high heels outside the bedroom door i remembered what she said each word very clear in that high sweet voice of hers callie come on now i poured a little drink for you that's how it was cecil and i lay still i didn't speak knowing what might happen i won't say wishing for it to happen but knowing cecil oh sure enough my mind squirmed around a bit trying to imagine the drink was from an innocent bourbon bottle but knew all the time that the bourbon had been emptied the week before and the bottle thrown away i'm no split personality cecil call it a paralysis from conflicting drives if you want to the self that had no wish to murder was the same self that that hated her guts and wished she was dead so i lay still and my brain began generating the smoke screen first the useless fraud about a bourbon bottle that wasn't there then the amnesia i don't believe you hated her guts callista she was a frustration someone in the way as t j would insist on saying has said in fact but i don't think you hated her as a person not for long but long enough i killed her that was a thing that happened you did not will it to happen you were sick bewildered temporarily unable to prevent it from happening if you'd been out in the living room with her do you remember that bronze paper knife you kept on the table a handsome thing with a sharp point she was small slight your arms are strong you know you could never in the world have taken it up against her why dear apologist you're only saying that i'm a coward about physical violence i killed her by lying still she's as dead as if i'd taken that knife to her i say the guilt is greater seeing red might have excused me or so most people would say my very cowardice weakness retreat that's what killed her cecil i killed her by a failure in simple decency and common sense if i'd been decent sensible i'd have run out there the moment i heard that bottle move on the shelf callista if the good the righteous the respectable were half as stern in self-judgment as you are oh there'd be no living with them at all mothers are colonial something or other because some worm-eaten ancestor was a saint in the bay colony i think father must have laughed at it but i was too young to get the point the puritan in me gives many a squirm but the point is my self-judgment serves no one now she's dead well it seems to be a jury of the righteous and respectable more or less who are stern enough in judging others i've noticed cecil will you give me a sharp honest answer to a question you don't want me to ask i'll try do you think we have a chance of course we have a chance 
today was bad. They'll go on feeling Judd's collapse, in spite of common sense, in spite of everything. The poor guy couldn't have done us more harm if he'd been trying. T.J. will manage to drop in some apparently inadvertent reminder of it, no doubt in his closing speech when I'm done talking. Hell, mere mention of Judd's name in a baritone tremolo would be enough, and there's no legal barrier against that. Terence will charge the jury again to forget it, and most of them will honestly try to, which would mean something only if people knew how to watch their own minds. And today was bad because this was the day when they laid out the heavy circumstantial stuff, proving your episode with Jim, making it official on the aconite, all that. But now, dear, so far as evidence is concerned, T.J. has finished, done his worst. Those letters to be read tomorrow aren't evidence. T.J. just thinks they are. He'll try to interpret them as indicating premeditation as well as motive. I know better, and I think I can make that fly up and hit him in the face, in my own closing speech, or sooner. I'm not painting it bright for you, Callista. It's not bright. But we have a chance. There is this. With your story clearly told, as it has been already, really, in that Lamson interrogation, it passes my understanding how anyone in his right mind could find first degree. Mr. Lamson had the answer, remember? The fact is, my dear girl, we just don't believe your story. Hell with Butch Lamson. He's not the jury. You think they might find second degree? That could happen. The only just verdict would be involuntary manslaughter. My love, can't you hear me? I've told you, I am guilty. Twenty to life. What do people feel when they cry out, Oh God, oh God? Does the sound do something for them? I don't know, Callista. I was never religious. Were you, ever? Not for real, I guess. Away back, soon after father died, I think the fluff and tinsel mythology of Sunday school had some hold on me for a short while. But I kept remembering a few of father's comments, spoken when I was too young to get the point. They fell into place finally, made sense. When I was thirteen, I told mother I wasn't going to make the motions any more. Stuck it out, too, with a bit of surprising help from Herb. One of the rare times I've seen him lose his temper, popped halfway out of the armchair while Mother was lecturing, and said, God damn it, Vic, let the kid do her own thinking. She will anyway. I could have loved him for that if he hadn't lapsed back into being Herb Chalmers, if he wasn't a stepfather if I wasn't a cross-grained bitch who never knows how to make advances at the right time. Well, that time Mother was so startled the artillery just didn't function. She went meek, maybe to see what Herb would do next, which was nothing. But also she never bothered me about it again, much. I suppose because her own religion is pure social conformity. 
if she'd had any serious convictions i might have had a battle on my hands twenty to life what happens tomorrow the letters first we sit quiet and hear them i can't ask you to display anything you don't feel callista as an actress my dear you're nowhere but if you feel well indifferent about those letters if it seems all far away and irrelevant don't let your face shout to the jury that you feel that way i'll be thinking of the briars they'll read no indifference in me then i think the briars where i lost my baby cecil some little tree whipped me across the face when i was leaving there a birch i think i remember i was superstitiously grateful glad of the sting a primitive game cecil the mind snatching at notions of punishment and atonement we're still savages and i suppose some of the time there's no harm in it as if the birch tree the whole dark place and the thorns had accomplished enough of the punishment so that i could meet the rest well enough and maybe the savage the poor greasy primordial eve down inside would say that i have so far after the letters the state rests i expect it hunter doesn't bother much with surprises not his method the state rests and i move they dismiss the case and terence will deny the motion because he must part of the ritual in a way we open then probably after an early noon recess the defense is going to be brief callista it's better that way we have only a few things to say reiterating them too much might turn the jury against us they've heard the essence of the defense already in my remarks the cross-examinations the lamson interrogation we mustn't repeat ourselves too much because well heaven help any defendant if the jury is bored what's happened is that in effect we're required to prove a negative in the sense of tangible proof on the same level as oh say peterson's photographs the thing is impossible proving a negative usually is and that's fairly common knowledge among people who think at all i'll bear down on it when i talk to them in closing and before then we must also insist on the element of reasonable doubt i can see that terence is very much aware of that aspect and you must have noticed how he's given us every break he possibly could including some that surprised me i shall open the defense by calling edith she's prepared to say anything at all that might help you and if T.J. tries to get tough with her in cross-examination, I'm sorry for him, that's all. She'll make a monkey out of him, and I believe she'll remember the jury every minute while she does it. In her direct testimony, the thing that will help most will be her emphasis on that suicidal depression. Haven't I already told Mr. Lamson that no one else knew of it? yes but edith did know don't you think she knew i was unhappy 
she's told me that you gave her the story about jim after that damn letter of his yes i went to pieces too that once but at that time i wasn't even quite certain yet about the pregnancy as for the suicide thing why i wasn't consciously thinking in those terms until the day of the picnic it was all over you know but i'm female enough so i didn't enjoy watching jim the tender husband and ann acting like a new bride jim all braced to speak to me politely but hoping to god he wouldn't have to and also wanting to yes i could feel that so i wandered off into that part of the garden it wasn't till i noticed the monkshood plants that i started telling myself how that way wouldn't hurt then i was digging up two or three just to look at them i nibbled at one and spat it out you saw edith every day that week didn't you went to the studio as usual yes oh she knew you were in the depths she loves you your moods aren't the mystery to her that they are to most people callista as for her factual knowledge well you might as well be prepared to hear her exaggerate that a little even lie some about how much she knew if she thinks it will help you i'm strangely rich and fortunate i have two friends i wish we were stronger well after edith testifies then you if you will promise me one thing two things one that i shall not say i am guilty yes the other is that when hunter is attacking you as he will without mercy and with every trick he knows you'll remember that you and your friends desire you to live that i can promise the other callista look up at me not yet in a moment tell me this is there any virtue any rational good in declaring a literal truth when misinterpretation is inevitable when you know to a certainty that your hearers cannot grasp the whole truth nor keep the partial truth in proportion nor even guess at the background the related truths virtue rational good i'm too confused cecil other thoughts i don't know i suppose not you call yourself guilty of a momentary lapse that happened to end in disaster but if you say that much the jury will inevitably charge you with a different sort of guilt they will say she brooded and planned to murder her lover's wife the old story let her burn but is it right reasonable is it anything but insane that for such a lapse when you were sick in mind and body you should be strapped in a chair and the life burned out of you you can frighten me cecil it's strange i don't think the brute fact has really frightened me before not completely it wasn't real it's real i was trying to frighten you you must not say on the stand what you've said to me tonight. I know it to be truth because you've said it to me. Telling it to the jury will not serve truth because their minds will make a lie of it. Look up at me now. 
I'll promise it, I think, for a bargain. I'll lie by silence in return for a promise from you. A promise? What is it, Callista? Promise me that if I am acquitted, I may come to you, live with you, in marriage or not, it doesn't matter, love you and care for you so long as I can have you. Give me that, and then I will lie. I'll swear anything to save my life. I'll be such an actress. Callista, I'm sixty-eight, old and fat and ugly and tired. Hush! Understand. It's you, 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 the self in you, not old nor young nor anything but you. Promise me. My promise for yours. No other terms. I promise it. Now I can look up at you. Now I know that what Edith said is true. Living is journeying, and love's a region we can enter for a while. Yes, a region that changes, if only because we do ourselves. Some try to prevent that, I suppose. They want it to be a closed room thick with perfume and curtains drawn against all weather, against night and day. But when I come to you, you've promised it, I'll make it a region of summer, of morning and summer evening, and every star at night. End of Part 6, Section 1 Recording by Roger Moline